Open your copy of God's Word to Romans 12. We looked at uh, part of this last week, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I want to couple this with Matthew 5, 13 through 16. So let's give our attention to both passages uh, as I read to you uh, now. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then over at Matthew chapter 5, Beginning in verse 13, this was Jesus' sermon on the mount, and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it become salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Both passages, you can see why I kind of couple them together. Both passages refer to us having a societal impact. And as I got to Romans 12, I see it, we don't spend a lot of time on that. Let's just stop and meditate and think together about how we are, Romans 12, 1 and 2, how we are being transformationalists. We're not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be transformed. So we're going to transformers, we're transformationalists. Our minds get renewed and we act differently than the world. We're not conformed. We're not walking according to the pattern of this world. Jesus says in Matthew 5, same kind of concept, a little different. You're the light of the world. You're different from the world. The world's like darkness. And you've come out of the darkness, and you demonstrate to them light. And you're the salt of the earth. You have flavor. You have taste that they don't have. I want you to be salty. I want you to be light. I want you to be transformed and not conformed to the ways of this world. So knowing that that's a passion of our God, that he doesn't just create us and redeem us, without purpose, without intent. One of his purposes is that we be transformed, that, I, that our salvation makes a difference in society. Not just in our private, individual home life, but there's something that is different about us in society. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. It's, it's, it's obvious. It's observable. I remember once uh, I came into the kitchen and I asked my wife if I could help, you know, with breakfast. Now, before you think that's sweet, realize it doesn't usually end well. And most people know that, uh, that my wife's such a good cook, you just don't really want, don't want to tweak it. But for some reason, I thought I should help this morning. So I come in and, you know, do you want me to help with uh, breakfast? And she kind of looked back, you can do the grits. I said, got that. You know, go over, and there's already water in the pot, and it's on. And uh, so, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do with that, because the right amount of water to grit is crucial. You know, it, it's four to one. I, I don't know if y'all all know that recipe, but it, it's, it's, it's already there. I said, I'm not going to, you know, try to tweak anything. I'm just going to put the grits in. And we'll stir them. And I think, well, it's got to have salt. So I put salt in and uh, get the grits going. 
a little bit later, you know, they're, they're about ready. I said, well, you know, I'm not sure I put enough salt because it seems like there's a little bit more water than normal. So I come and put a little more salt in. Well, I didn't know that my wife had already put salt in the water as soon as she put the water in. And just before we get to the table, she was thinking maybe she didn't put enough salt in. So she puts a little more salt in. Guess what? Those grits were gloriously transformed. They were salty. You know, I'm known for making food too salty. So I got blamed for that. But that's fine. It made me think, do I ever see anybody say that Christian's too salty? Your light's shining a little too brightly. The Christians really had a transformational impact there. And I think that's more of where I want us to go. That should be more of our goal. How can we really be those transformed beings that God has redeemed so that our taste really is transformed and our light really is shining? Um, now, just as a, uh, a principle, if you already accept something, you're not likely to transform it. So let's stop and maybe, maybe you need to evaluate, are there things in your life you already accept and that's why you're not a transformationalist? You're not too salty in that area. For example, we went out to eat last night and um, when my food came, I have an option. I can choose to say it's acceptable or I can say it's not acceptable. Well, I, I tasted it, I smelled it, I looked at it and I said not acceptable. So I said, I need salt, I need pepper, I need mayonnaise. That transformed it, and it was so much better. How about your life? If, if you've already accepted it, you're not going to transform it. Is your marriage acceptable, or does it need transforming? Is your singleness, is that acceptable? Or does it need transforming? Is your parenting acceptable? Or would you be a transformationalist? In our society, is your workplace, is it acceptable? Or could it use transforming? Your prayer life, acceptable? Or does it need transforming? Our society in a sense of health care, education, morality, do you accept it? Or does it need transforming? See, what we accept, we're not going to do anything with. I just want you to begin to say, well, it's really not acceptable. There's room for growth. There's room for more salt. There's room for transformation. There's room for light from Christ to come into this area. As I began really praying through Romans 12, I said, God, what are we going to do with this? We're supposed to be transformed. Our minds are supposed to be different, and it's supposed to have an impact. We're not conformed. We're not like the world. And as I prayed, I was just with this conviction, God, there may be one person here that will become a transformationalist, that will really be different as a result of hearing your commands and following them. I want us to think about this. I want us to evaluate just three areas of society just quickly because I just want to get you to begin thinking out of acceptable to transformed so that we can begin thinking about how to move as a transformationalist into our world instead of keeping things the way they are. Let's look at the, the subject of education and then health care and then morality. Both as, as I prayed, Lord, what, what areas do I need to transform? These were three that just came up to me quickly. For education, look at Ephesians 6, the first four verses with me. Ephesians 6, and when I'm talking about education, I'm not uh, pitting one... Uh, kind of education against another. If you're in the public school, how does it need to be transformed? If you're in homeschooling, 
how does that need to be transformed? If you're at a private school, how does that need to be transformed? If you hire private tutors to come in, how does that need to be transformed? See, there's room for the light of Christ and the salt in, in every one of those areas. So wherever God has you right now, some of you have no options. You have to be right where you are. How does God want you to transform that and be the light of Christ there? Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Here's God's command. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father, your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. So that's, that's God's created order. He's put parents to train the next generation, and that can be divvied out in all of those four areas we just talked about. But here's the command for training. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we are required to do education. We're to train. Notice what the scriptures never say. Don't, there's not even a hint of it here. It's nowhere else. Nowhere does it say, put your kids into some sort of educational system so you train them in the ways of the world for 12 years so that they'll be good at fitting into the world. We don't have that. Why? Because God doesn't want our kids to conform to the image of the world. God wants us to be transformed. So our responsibility in the realm of education is to train them to be salt and light. To be different from the ways of the world. And that's a, a difficult task to train week after week, day after day. So, you know, you start thinking about, well, how can I do that? How about when they learn, you know, you got the basics, read, write, arithmetic. When they learn to read, how do you train them to read in the instruction of the Lord? Do you just want them to read? Learn to read. Or do you want them to learn to read well? Lord, how can I teach them to read? We, we read wonderfully Psalm 19 this morning. How can I teach them to read the scriptures, to dive deep into difficult literature, literature of different genres? How can they begin to read and know the depths of God? Do we transform the reading aspect of education so that our next generation reads well? And they are of knowledge through their reading of the scriptures, how they should go. Do we want them to just not only read, but do math, arithmetic? Say, no, 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 absolutely not. I can transform that. I can show them that math is all logical. It's formulas that create certain results. And that demonstrates for us a God of great order. And the scriptures tell us that God doesn't want anything done that's not done decently and in order. So even teaching arithmetic, I'm teaching logic, and I'm teaching the orderliness of God. And it transforms why math's important or arithmetic. And how about writing? Can we transform writing? That writing is, is a form of communication. And I want the next generation, to communicate well, to, to know principles from God's Word and be able to converse, to, to do more than an 18-character tweet, to, to move up to a text maybe, maybe even an email, you know, and, and write paragraphs and write well and argue the logic and principles and commands of God with our society. These are principles upon which we stand. Do we learn that process. And then history. History is being taught and rewritten today. How can we transform history so that we teach the next generation? I want you not only to know historical facts, but the purpose in knowing our history is so that we don't repeat the sins of our forefathers. So how can we know the facts and not repeat the mistakes of the past when we look at history, see, it's transformational and it happens in every area of our education. 
Yet many people today are just trying to get facts and are pass it on and not really learning to read, to read well, to write, to do the, the formulas and to understand history. What if the majority of our Christian children were the product of a transformed education? And they are going into our world, not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of their minds. See, their education was transformational. And when they see things in our society, they begin to think about it differently. From God's history, from God's standpoint, from how God would write about it, what God, how God would order it. How God would transform it. Well, education. Think about health care. Health care, we have seen through this pandemic. What a mess we have now with health care. We've got so much conflicting information, regulations about health care that now for the first time in my history, I'm seeing doctors argue with doctors constantly about protocols and treatments and who's right and who's wrong. You're going to kill them. No, I'm not going to kill them. You're going to kill them. And it's going back and forth. And our government's getting involved. How do you transform something like that? And not only do you have the doctors arguing with doctors, but you've got um, battles between patients and insurance, and we're arguing with each other. And the rest of us, wherever you are, you're frustrated and you're all sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right? How do we transform that? Can we be transformationalist? I'll share a story with you of a transformer I read in World Magazine years ago, and he's still there. Oklahoma City. Let, let's just take a basic outpatient hernia surgery, Okay? So you've got the most basic hernia procedure that is common to man. You're supposed to go in, get it repaired, and you're supposed to be back home resting in your own bed that night. You go in for hernia surgery around here, places I know anyway, and your doctor needs to refer you, so you've got to pay your doctor, and then you've got to pay the surgeon who's going to do the procedure. And, of course, you've got to rent the uh, exam room and the, the, the OR, so you got to pay them, and you got to pay for uh, not only the facilities, but the nurses and staff that are there, and then somebody's got to x-ray it, so you got to pay for the x-ray, and you got to pay for the radiologist, and then you got to pay for, um, you know, uh, hopefully you've got insurance, so you've already paid for the insurance, and th then you've got to pay for us you know, when they take a little sample of whatever they do, they got to send it to the lab. So you got to pay for the lab, and then you got to pay for the pathologist, and you know, then then you got to pay for the dietitian to come and tell you how to eat now that you got you know this surgery. And so you got to pay for the dietitian, and it just goes on and on and on, right? And for that quick procedure, it's going to cost you about thirty thousand dollars. And you're thinking, well, hopefully my insurance takes care of all that. But when it doesn't, everybody's fighting with everybody. You could drive to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. There's an anesthesiologist up there uh, about 20 years ago. I think his name is Dr. Keith Smith. And he said, I want to know how to care for my patients. I want them to have the hernia surgery, but I don't want them to be inundated with all of this. And he, so he just started calling up his buddies. And so he'd call up the surgeon, how much would you charge for a hernia surgery? He said, I know how much I would charge for the anesthesia. And the, the uh, doctor's surgeon said, I don't have a clue. Somebody else does that for me. He said, find out. Give me a guess. How much does just your part cost? And so the surgeon called him back, gave him a figure. He knew his figure, and he called up everybody else on the list. This is how much it would cost. He says, what if we had people come and created a surgical center and just no insurance, you just pay what it costs? And we all get paid well, you just pay what it costs. Guess how much it costs? Still costs the same today if you go there. $3,000 for the same surgery. Is $27,000 transformational or what? That's the difference. That's where we've gone. Could 
we possibly have a transformationalist in Anderson. That one anesthesiologist in Oklahoma City started a surgical center. He got 40 of his buddies together. So there's 41 doctors or whatever there that work there. And you can drive there today. I've thought about it. When I have a procedure, I might just drive to Oklahoma. Because it's transformational to find people providing care and wanting to care for the whole person, their finances as well as their hernia. Well, things like that are, are available to us as believers. Our education, our health care, our morality. Boy, even our Christian morality is a mess today. Give you a quick example. We all agree, right? You're supposed to read the Bible, supposed to pray, supposed to go to church, supposed to give tithes and offerings. Those are things most of us can say, yeah, yeah, I agree on that. Guess what? Give one good, warm holiday. Memorial Day, Labor Day, just a good, warm holiday. Or already been mentioned, a good football game. Or a good golf tournament, or a good fishing tournament, or a good opportunity for a picnic. Guess what? Just one good thing like that happens, and that whole weekend, I've talked to some of you, said, yeah, it's happening to me. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, didn't pray, didn't read my Bible, didn't give, didn't go to church. What? Is that conforming to the ways of the world? Or is that transformational? See, it's real easy to say the, the morality problems out there, but it's also real easy to say, I think I, I tend to conform to the patterns of this world. More than I'm known for being a transformationalist. Uh, how can we avoid worldly conformity and be transformational? Now, I know our media is to blame for a lot of stuff today. But our media is not the cause of sin. Seventy years ago, when we just barely had a TV, we barely had media. We still had plenty of sin, and we still had a morality problem. But our media definitely greatly influences our lives today like never before. Right now, a high school senior spends more time on social media than that high school senior spends in school. So who's the influencer? The media is influencing us more than the teacher who may have that child for 40 hours. The media is influencing us more than the parent, more than the preacher, more than family members. Media is a big problem. How can we transform it? How, because that's influenced our morality. And so now we look at men differently. We look at women differently. We look at kids differently. We look at so many things differently because we're constantly being influenced. And there are people now who get paid to just be influencers. We know it has an impact and we've got to think through all of that and be not conformed to the ways of the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, there's great room for transformation in our lives today. Well, those are four battlefronts that I think you could think about, uh, or th three or four, I mean, however you want to break them up. Um, how do you do that? How do you transform your society so that your morality's like what Christ wants? Let me just give you an example of morality. To, to, well, I'll just jump into my, my steps. Here, let me give you a blueprint. Let me give you some steps to do. So, okay, David, I want to be a transformation. I don't want to be conformed to this world. I want to be like Christ when Christ returns. I, I want to be salt and light. I want to follow God's way. Let me just give you four practical things you can do. Number one, pray to live sacrificially, not conveniently. Back in Romans 12, 1, present your, your bodies a living sacrifice. Sacrificial living is what God is calling us to. 
not convenient living. How many times do you say, well, I know what the will of God is. It's my convenience. And in the same passage, it talks about the will of God. And we'll talk about the will of God next week, Lord willing. It says we're to be living sacrificially. So pray, Lord, help me to live sacrificially, not conveniently. For me to give, give a quick example, for me to give to the BTG fund, and I shared that last week, if we decide, my wife and I decide, we're going to give $50 every week to the BTG, that's not convenient. Giving's not convenient. It takes time. It takes process. It takes reordering the budgets at times. It takes sacrifice. We've got to give up to give here. But it's transformational, giving is. Well, everything else, if, if, if I'm going to go to the football game, am I still going to read my Bible and pray and attend church? See, well, that wouldn't be convenient. No, it would be living sacrificially. It would be different. It would show priorities that are perhaps non-negotiable in the midst of other things that we want to add to our life. And it's not being conformed, it's transforming. We need to think of what are sacrifices that God really wants us to make. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks about sacrifices. I mentioned a little bit last week. Uh, what are these sacrifices like? They're, they're that burnt offering sacrifice of the Old Testament. Is, it's the first part that belongs to God, that's dedicated to God. Well, let me sh share it a different way this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 and 15 says, As obedient children, so I want to be obedient. As obedient children, do not be conformed, there's that word again, to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God wants us to have this set-apart life. When, when He redeems us, because of His mercies, now live this set-apart life, this life that's not separate from the world, but set apart to God, holy in the world. Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, for God, and holy, H-O-L-Y, seeking to be obedient to God's scriptures and not conformed to former, former lust in the world. Um, so it came up a minute ago. God brings it to mind again. Let's take how we look at people. How does the world look at life? How does the Christian look at life? Uh, some people say, man, do not look at a woman. What does the scripture say? Don't look at a woman to lust after her. How do you keep from lusting after a woman that's attractive to you if you look at her? You go back to... God's word. And God says, when you look at a woman, what should you see? You should see a divine creation of God. Honor God first. God has created this person. This person is precious in his sight. They are made in his image. So as you begin looking at a woman and you begin to think, this is God's divine image. And I need to be honoring God as I look at her. And then you look that this woman has a husband. You honor the husband. She is married. To. Then you look that she is a mother and you honor the uh, commandment, the fifth commandment. You honor as her mother who's training up the next generation. And you see, when, when you start looking at people through the eyes of Scripture, the lust falls away. You're not looking at this person for pleasure. You're looking at this person as God created, as a husband married, as a child in need. And the lust goes away, and that's transformational. Because the world doesn't look at people that way. The world looks at people, what can that person do for me? How can that person please me? And the same is true for men. And the same today is true for children. And there's abuse on all levels if we're conformed to the world. But Christians should look at one another on these social media sites and transform them 
by going back to biblical categories of why male and female were created, how they are to reflect the image of God, how they bring together a perfect fellowship, how they reproduce for the next generation and train up the next generation. And when you begin to look at people that way, it's transformational. Our society doesn't know how to do that. But you do. I do. We need to pray. Well, but that, that would be inconvenient. That would be going upstream. That would be going against the tide. Yes. It's called sacrificial. It's not praying that life would be easy and comfortable. It's saying, Lord, what are the sacrifices I need to present to you today? How do I present myself as a living and holy sacrifice? Is that on your prayer list? To not just pray for convenience, but to pray to be a living, holy sacrifice. Not one who's big on self-indulgence, but one who's big on self-denial. Secondly, realize God has not commanded us to love ourselves. You have the, the passage. Look at it, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. I don't know how. Well, I kind of do. How we got where we are today. I think it's a work of the devil. Um, Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39 says, you shall, What are the two greatest commandments? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great foremost commandment. Verse 39. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. How many commands do you have there? Well, the very specific says on these two commandments. Didn't say there were three commandments. It says there's two, two commandments. The greatest is love God. The second is love man, love your neighbor. And on these two commandments, not three. And yet Satan has gotten into our lives and said, well, you know, it's based on the fact that how you love yourself. So obviously you must love yourself first. What a deception. What a change. Instead of saying, no, God created us innately to preserve life. Go back to Genesis 9, 6. I'll be looking at that in my discipleship class this morning. God's passion for us to preserve life. He, he built us with an innate passion to take care of and preserve life. And so we do that. And he says, the same way you do that, I want you to love your neighbor. But the command is not to love self. The command is to love our neighbor. There's not three commands. There's two. As soon as we start giving ourselves sacrificially, well, I want to do this to love God. I want to do this. I know it's a sacrifice. I want to do this to love my neighbor. I know it's a sacrifice. And then somebody steps into your realm and says, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to take care of yourself first. You can't do that unless you take care of you. You need to just stop and focus on you. You just need to love you. We just left the commands for an invention of the devil and his world. Instead of self-denial, now we're just all about self-indulgence, you see. How do we become transformational? You can't get there if you're not willing to sacrifice. And you can't get there as long as you think, i got to love me first. Transformational living is about loving God first. Transformational living is about loving others second, and all of that's sacrificial. And yes, you take care of yourself. God would want you to be a steward of your own life and your own body. But that's after you've focused on God and others and seek to give your life in love for them. Third, so pray to live sacrificially, not conveniently. Realize God has not commanded us to love ourselves. He commands to love him and others. Three, take up self-denial as a daily duty. Luke 9.23, I know I've mentioned this passage a bunch. If you don't have it memorized, get it memorized. This is, some of these are just crucial that we just, we know. Here, Jesus is talking to his disciples and uh, just fed 5,000 Who's really following him? They say they all want to follow him. Who really is following him? Who's not? And here's a great passage to 
help them through that. Verse 23, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. Um, take up a self, take up safe self-denial as a daily routine. Self-denial as a daily duty. It's not a one-time act. You know, well, one day I walked the aisle, one day I prayed to receive Christ. Check, done. No. It's a daily. Jesus says, if you want to follow me. My followers deny themselves and take up a burden. They take up a life of burden daily. And that's transformational. It looks almost as if you are killing yourself. But who who wishes to save his life in this earth is the one who's killing himself. And he who is living to kill himself literally is saving himself and the crowd's just blown away that's transformational that's not conforming to the ways of this world at all of course I'm, I'm not asking you to take any of that to an extreme I'm asking you to take it the way Christ intended it that we live lives of self-denial we're denying ourselves our own pleasures, so that we can transform those that are around us, the life that's around us. It's our proper way to present ourselves to God. It's a living sacrifice. Number four, and then focus on how we think. Back in Romans 12, verse 2, renew your mind. Focus on how you think. Don't be conformed. Spent three points there thinking about not being conformed. One point on how to transform. It be, begins with what you think. As a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs 4.23 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is, so he becomes. Our thinking is crucial. Renew your minds. Romans 12. Renew your minds. I don't know if you've realized this yet, but I certainly have, that I can put a lot of stuff in my mind every day. And it doesn't stay there. Does yours? I've got to renew the pot. I've got to fill the pot back up. My bucket gets empty. I've got to fill it back up. I need a renewal going on every day. I don't just put it in once and bam, it's there. I need to meditate on the things of God on a regular basis. My mind needs to be renewed, and that's what God is talking about. Let me share it in a great passage. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. What's he telling us to do? He's telling us to do something with our mind. He said, don't love the world. I said, well, what do you mean don't love the world? And he it defines that in verse 16. The, 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 what's in the world that I'm talking about? I'm talking about something that's in your heart. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. He said, that's what I don't want you to love. And what are those things? Those are values. I don't want you to be conformed to the values of this world. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind into what's the will of God. The people who live according to those values, they're going to perish. But the world, those who have transformed values will live forever. Those who are following a, a renewed mind of obedience to Christ. Well, it's so easy to look at things and lust after them. Lust of the flesh. I, I want that. To see something. I want that. Lust of the eyes. I got that. Boastful pride of life. 
does that define our lives? That we go for what our eyes see, that we want, we go for what our hearts crave, we want, and then do we boast about it when we attain it? And through that whole process, we've never evaluated whether that's being conformed to the world, and God says, I don't want you to be conformed to the world. Do not love the world. Don't love that style, that value system. Rather, I want you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want you to think differently. You don't need to have that or that or that and then boast about it. I'm going to give you all of that in eternity and more. I want you to be salty. I want you to be light in this darkness. I want a completely different individual that's guided by the world. You know, I talked, uh, I mean, the word, not the world. Um, talked about just the lust of the eyes a minute ago. I grew up um, with people saying, well, I, I don't look at bad stuff, preacher. I just want you to know. I don't, I don't look, you know, I only look at sports. Okay. Cheerleaders? Uh, nah, no, nah, I don't look at cheerleaders. Can I, we've even removed them. You don't see them much anymore. Now people are saying, and, and what people used to say then, and they're still saying it, some people say, well, I'm holy. I only look at the news. Well, I, I think Satan heard that so many times that Christians were saying, well, I only look at the news. That Satan has now made the news the most corruptive, corrupted, deceptive sight on television. You're looking, when every time you turn on the news, you're looking at corruption. And you're looking at deception. And just because it says it's a news outlet doesn't mean it's true, and you know that. And you start looking at four or five news outlets, and you try to look at ones that are different from the former one, and then you begin to see somebody's wrong. And it's deceptively wrong. As to trick our minds... And to corrupt our lives. And we have to be transformational. Renewing our minds. Evaluating what we see and hear through the scriptures. Otherwise, we're conformed to the ways of the world. And sin's not just in an object. Like a woman. Or a news site. Sin is in the heart. It's not the objects that are to the sin. It's how we think about them. It's the thoughts, the lust of the flesh and of the minds, the thoughts. Where sin begins and we embrace it and take it into ourselves. Christians are commanded to be thinking individuals. Thinking deeply, evaluating thoroughly. Everything in our sphere according to the Word of God. And a good guide and a good principle for all of that is Philippians 4.8. Refresh your memory on this. It's a hard one to memorize because there's so many words in it. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's any excellence and if in anything there's worthy of praise, dwell, think on these things. Now that's a great guide to no matter what site you're on, let me think through the honorable way to look at this object. What's the right way? What's the pure way? What's the lovely way? What's the way that has good reputation? What's the way of excellence? What's the, the way that I could bring into the worship service? And in, it's worthy of praise. How do I think about life with that as a standard? Philippians 4a. See, that's, that's where God wants us. Renewing our minds so that we think that way. What's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal. Romans 8, verse 29. Says that... For those he foreknew, he also predestined, here's the ultimate goal, the purpose. Those God foreknew, 
He predestined to become conformed. We've seen that word a lot this morning. Conformed, not to the ways of the world. Those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the goal. Not to conform to the world, but to look like Jesus. To be like Christ. That's salt. That's light in this tasteless, dark world we live in. Could we have a big impact? Could we have a big societal impact? How about just us? Not needing anybody else. Well, I brought you a math problem to prove that we could have a big societal impact. If just one of you, and I began the sermon saying, maybe there's just one of you that's going to be a radical transformationalist. But if just one of you, if all of us started to become transformational and not conform to this world, think about the impact it would have to our society. The way I'm going to illustrate this impact is how thick would a piece of paper be? Math problem. How thick would a piece of paper be if you folded it 50 times? The math problem is 2 to the 50th power, okay? You folded it, and you're going to do that 50 times. Now, I've been told, I haven't tried it, that you can't fold a piece of paper, keep folding it over, double it, more than seven or eight times. It's just physically impossible. But it's not impossible for math. Okay. So let me take, take you through it real quick. I wrote it down so I wouldn't fumble through it. If you fold the piece of paper in half, now you've got two pieces of paper. So you're two pieces of paper thick. You fold it at one time. You fold it again, two pieces of paper becomes four. Right? You fold the four pieces of paper over again. Now you've got eight. You fold the eight over again. You've got 16. You fold it again, you got 32, 64. You see where this is going. After uh, 64, you fold it. Now you're starting to cook. 128. Fold it again, 256. You fold it again, 512. Again, 1,024. Then 2,048. Then 4,096, etc. Until you reach 50 doublings of this piece of paper. And guess what the results is? I had to write it down. I've never seen it. This is almost as big as the tax height we're fixing to get. If you fold it 50 times, it comes up to 1 quadrillion, 125 trillion, 800 billion papers thick. Okay? Now, we need to divide that number by 200 because that, it, it, it takes... 200 sheets of paper for an inch. After we do that, we divide that number by 12 because there's 12 inches in a foot. After we do that, we divide it uh, by 469 million, 100, uh, well, that's what, that's what we get. We, we, we multiply it by, divide it by 12, you get the foot, then you've got to divide after you get the feet you got to divide it by 5,280 because that's how many feet are in a mile, okay? So we've got it down. How many miles thick has this paper become? And guess how many miles thick when you just double 50 times? It becomes 88,849,424 miles thick. About the distance between here and the sun folding a piece of paper 50 times. Can just folding a piece of paper have a big impact? Yeah. How about if you trained one child and the next generation trains two? How about if, if we as a community say, I'm going to make a prayer goal that I'm going to invite one other person to Christ this year. I'm going to invite them to church. I'll bring them to a place where they'll hear the good news of Christ. And I'm going to follow up with that person until they're sitting beside me. And if it's not one, I'm going to keep doing it until I have one more. Well, if we've got 400 in the room and we all just got one more, 
you, you turn the paper over once. What do you have? 400? Now we have 800. What if we did that one more year? We would have 1,600. And we're maxed out on our campus. And we don't have room to go more in just two years. And all we had to do is reach one. Could we have a transformational impact? You say, well, what if the school maxes out that it now has 230 and we just do the same thing in the school and then it's got 460 and it's maxed out? Well, what if we maxed out our piece of property, we took it to other churches in Anderson? What if instead of planting one school, we planted 10 or 15 schools? And then what if those 10 or 15 schools created their own athletic complex? Would that transform Anderson? What if instead of just filling this church, if we filled 15 more churches for Christ? And that association. See, that's what we've been talking about with the BTG. How can we start this process? And have a societal impact that f- goes way beyond us. We do the next step. And we train the next generation to do the next step after that. And instead of being conformed to this world, we're transformers. And the world says, why don't we do it like that? Like those people. How, are, how did they know to do that? Well, we serve a risen Savior who's Christ Jesus. And His Word is true. And He teaches us to live sacrificially, to present our lives to Him. That we're not content with what is by default the world. We don't accept it the way it is. We seek to transform it into the image of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, who is our man, our woman, our boy, our girl that will live as salt and light in this earth? Like Isaiah before us, here I am, O Lord, send me. Use me. I know it won't be convenient. I know it won't be easy. It will require sacrifice. It will require giving up. Self-denial. And I'll have to think a lot harder than I think now. But Father, let us not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed for your pleasing, acceptable sacrifice. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.